time in the shower, like those shower thoughts when you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's genius. Why didn't I think about this before? And then you like leave the shower, you use your towel, get dressed, you sit in front of your desk again. You start typing. What in the world is this? Like, <laughs> what was I thinking? Thought of this? Is this something with water? Because the water <laughs> makes it feel like it's, it's genius. Hey guys, my name is Ellie Feiner and this is Stop Building where I do my best to get founders to set aside their ID and talk to some potential users. This rarely works, but I love these conversations anyway. Actually, I have a question for you. Um, Please. How do I pronounce your name properly? Ah, it's Ellie. Uh, okay, because I played Half-Life and there was this character whose name was written in the same way, but they but pronounced it differently. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. want to make sure. It's the common thing with my name. Um, because, well, so <clears throat> there's a character in the Bible whose Hebrew name okay. is Eliyahu. The short for uh -huh. that is Eli. Now, Eliyahu, when it went from um, ancient Hebrew to Greek to Latin and then to English, right. it became Elijah. Mm -hmm. And the short for Elijah is Eli. Right, so I see. I am Ellie, but I'm also Eli, uh, or rather, it's the same name. Interesting. Wow, such a such a transition, to be honest. Because I would I would expect you'd be like Ilya. Yeah, no, I have yeah, no idea. Yeah, no. All right, we are here to uh, get to know each other, uh, but we're also <laughs> here to do some some actual work. Why don't we start with what you are working on, and then we'll see what we can do about it oh man i wish i really hope we could <laughs> yeah um zvit so that's from ukrainian that's report it just came up with this word basically it's an app that helps freelancers and self-employed and basically everybody who's like either slowly getting just getting into business or just having a gig on the side learn how to start separating their business finances and personal but without this like really complex dive into something like quickbooks or any other bookkeeping software that's a one-liner <laughs> that i was <laughs> repetitioning um yeah yeah did you practice your elevator pitch or is it not uh... for today but i must admit every time in the shower like those shower thoughts when you're like <laughs> That's, that's genius why didn't i think about this before and then you like leave the shower you use your towel get dressed you sit in front of your desk again you start typing what in the world is this like, <laughs> what was i thinking? thought of this is this something with water is the water makes <laughs> it feel like it's it's genius but yeah it's just one of those things that i was like at some point if i'm open to any investment i i need to be able to convey the idea in this short amount of time yeah well, that's the theory but I think the practice is you get to a point where you feel the value of what you're selling and you've talked to enough people about it to hear how they feel the value and what they see the value that instead of having a pitch that is a rehearsed way you describe, because mm -hmm. all these one-liner pitches, they all sound the same. They yeah. all sound rehearsed. They all sound somewhat dishonest <laughs> robotic 
Especially um, when they compare it to like existing big products. I know why. Yeah, exactly. Instance, I, the YouTube for 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 Airbnb. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Uber for this. Grubhub for that. Yeah, I get it. It's for investors, but yeah. The, the interesting thing I think is that investors are people too. <laughs> and the funny thing about this is that an early stage entrepreneur puts on a mask of being a, an experienced person and, mm -hmm. and an investor puts on a mask of being the serious dude with a tie and some money. And then the interaction is between these two masks as opposed yeah. to two people, mm -hmm. which and masks typically don't interact as well as people or as badly. It's just bland. It's just pointless and meaningless. And I have little experience, like very little experience with investors and the VCs, but I have quite a bit of experience with different kinds of people. And people are a lot more similar in their humanity to each other under the masks. It's just the social construct of, oh, I'm an entrepreneur and I need to present to an investor who's seen 600 pitches today mm -hmm. that creates this interaction that's unnatural. But anyway, my, my point is that a good pitch does not come from practicing the pitch. A good pitch comes from interacting with lots of people, probably like dozens at least, but hundreds probably, that give you feedback on what you're saying and whether it makes sense or not. Yeah, and talk to your customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's overused. really important. Yeah, it's a very important piece of advice. But A, if you don't have any customers, who the hell do you talk to? B, when you do talk to your customers, what kind of questions do you ask? And C, even before you talk to your customers, how do you even get them to talk to you? Because one of the problems with selling software is that you're selling your landing page. They are a <laughs> click. There's no conversation. How do you yeah. get people to actually have an actual conversation with? And we live in this modern world where you can have a conversation with anybody across the world. And, you know, half of my chats are from people in, on the other side of the world. And still, there's this barrier. Of, Would you get on a call with me? Let's hop mm -hmm. on a quick call. There's all these, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there are all these formulas that don't work because there is a barrier. Like mm -hmm. we move from being disembodied pieces of text in an email to having an actual relationship with a person, and that's scary to both sides, to both the person who's offering that and the person who may or may not say yes to that. <laughs> but when we do that then the pitch becomes like fully embodied. And instead of just talking about this, you live it. You're like, this is what I do. This is why I do it. And that's why the, the, the question I wanted to ask you was, how did you come up with this? What's like the origin story of this? Oh, it's a personal itch, right? I heard it somewhere. I don't even remember at this point when and where in my life I heard it, but I think it was like, I'm full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of 37 signals and like whatever Basecamp team does, all those like hot takes of DHH on Twitter. I just love it. I just love because how different they are, how, how they pick their own battles, if that makes sense. And that's exactly what they talk about in their books too. I, I might have read it in like getting real book or somewhere. I don't remember this point. But it, it, it feels like this vibe of the best ideas for you personally is to work on something that you personally care about, 
again, I, I it might may it might not be true. It may work for somebody or for somebody it may not. For example, I always like I have this new letter, a newsletter about like business ideas and all. And everybody talks about this trending pickleball thing. I'm sure you heard of it. No, it's like, haven't. it's a it's an extremely like becoming extremely popular sports. It's like tennis, to be honest. Tennis, but it looks simpler. And everybody's talking about like how extremely underfitted, underfilled, I guess, the market of pickleball is. It's pickleball. Is <laughs> that that pickleball? sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it, it does, yeah. For me, hearing for me being like hearing about this for the first time, yeah, hearing pickleball. about something for the first time, and then hearing it discussed as an underfilled market <laughs> oh yeah like, it's basically it's like everybody's talking about this in the again every, by saying everybody I mean in those newsletters that this is if you're looking for a new niche if you're looking for a market to fill like oh, that's gotcha. it's growing gotcha. right now and they're shooting these ideas about and you're comparing that and you're comparing that to something that you're actually passionate about not just a money grab Yes, but I guess to even clarify even more is there is, for me, there is a type of entrepreneurs who are particularly good at catching certain niches and getting into this market just because they see an opportunity in there. And then there is another who are like sort of analyzing the things that they do. And they're trying to obviously scratch their own itch and like base, build their products and build on top of that. I'm, I guess, at least right now in my, you know, stage of life <laughs> i'm more i feel like i'm more good at the latter but i definitely want to learn about the former just because you probably know being a designer and a developer and all that stuff is like 10 15 percent of of doing something good you also need to understand all the things that ellie talking about and that's probably the, the scariest for all those makers and especially people who are coming out of like their small caves with their computer where they love to build stuff which is me included so anyway the, sorry so it's a, a bit of introductory to the problem so yeah that's how i got into this i was working full-time uh, up until recent events i got laid off <laughs> but uh, yeah exactly it was, it was such a it was such a hit but then i was like damn i don't need to be in all those meetings anymore and i have some money saved for a few months so that's actually i don't know but I don't know why my voice suddenly got so high. <laughs> it's fear. <laughs> it's the fear. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's personal because I always, I in the US without health insurance, without proper steady income, it's really difficult to survive. And I was just afraid of that because I was so excited to get into America in my, I was 20 or 19. I don't remember. I'm 26 today. And I knew that. I need to have some sort of full-time while I'm doing my stuff. And that was my first full-time job at this agency whose like solely single client was Cisco. And that's how I basically called myself a designer in Cisco, just because it's like literally the only company I worked with in there. So that's how it started. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I used to work with this music software company called Output. Super amazing experience for me about two years. And all this time, I was still continuing to take side clients uh, for my design agency that I started back in like 2013, I think. I, I left, I dropped out of university to basically start a design agency. And it just got stuck with me for that long, I think seven or eight years or something. 
so yeah, I was always on the side doing something, right? But it, it didn't feel as like as constant and serious, if you will, at the time to start a proper LLC, like a company. And then I found out that it's actually so easy in America to to start a business because, for example, in Ukraine, to start some sort of like business, you need to register as a person who's doing business, even if it's not a company, even if you're like a sole proprietor, you need to register. Like you can't just do that. I yeah. mean, if we're talking about legal, proper, you know, how to do it properly because majority of Ukrainians don't do that. Um, <laughs> but that's how um, that's what you do if you want to be able to to work in a legal way if you're precise. taxes like the, yes the full thing not like cash based business out of your basement but an actual business that's um, what i mean yeah and, and be I legally protected lot, too yeah and yeah. in a lot of cases i think even like working with things like stripe from countries that require that kind of legal setup they actually ask you for that legal setup as well to be able to get paid yes yeah and the states is easier because everyone's a business and anyone can run their own solopreneurship or offer services mm -hmm. or write out invoices without any additional thing. Like you can set up an LLC as a separate entity, but you don't need to do that if you just work under your own name. Canada is the same way. Israel, on the other hand, is like, like Ukraine. Mm. Um, you need to register yourself with the tax authorities to be able to. It's not very complicated, but it's not by default. Like you're not a business from the day you're born you're only a business right. once you declare yourself to be one and i think part of that is this interesting balance where so in the states and also in canada everyone needs mm. to do their taxes every year yes regardless of whether they work um, a job or have a business or anything else so everyone is more aware of their financial responsibilities and of how things work but in Israel, and I think it's the same way in, in Ukraine and in many other countries, if you work a job, you mm -hmm. never see the taxes, you never see your whatever retirement or pension deductions. And in some cases, you never see even like in Israel, there's a separate fund they put into your employer pays into for, for your severance pay. So when you get laid off, they have to pay you severance, but they don't pay it out of pocket because they've been saving up to it. Same, your salary yeah. is uh, is lower because of all mm -hmm. these deductions, but you're protected because of that. So it's like taking a employment and the uh, how unaware you are of what's going on around you to the next level, but it also protects people. And I, I have this personal experience, like I worked in, in tech for many years. And some of these years, I had a very nice salary, and I spent most of it. <laughs> and <laughs> if I did not have that protection of these savings that were done, not by me, but by my employer, and of these payments into a retirement plan that was not done by me, but was done by my employer, I would have none of those things <laughs> at all. I would have spent, I was a stupid young kid, and I just <laughs> spent everything. And... If they didn't do it for me, then I would have spent everything. And it's interesting because if you treat people like cattle, <laughs> then it makes sense to also not give them any opportunity to make decisions along these lines. Or I want to invest my money with this mutual fund or with that mutual fund, which you can't tell the difference. So it doesn't even matter. Something that, That's the only decision you get asked to make about your retirement uh, again in Israel. Um, mm -hmm. 
But it seems that the alternative way that this works in Canada and in the States is that you just by the force of doing taxes every year, you're forced to face these decisions at a much earlier age. And you are learning how to deal with these things. Now, the problem is that the education system or whatever societal education (laughs) you get actually doesn't teach you how to do this. Something like TurboTax, click all the default things because that's what you do and then click submit and that's it or have someone else do it. So I think that doesn't actually fix the problem. I think what actually happens in the States, and there's probably stats about it, is that people, for the most part, just don't save for retirement and don't save enough money off their paycheck to for emergencies either. On balance, I think the system that obfuscates all of this actually works better for the individual. Mm-hmm. But then becoming an entrepreneur is a bigger leap, which is why fewer people do this. And that's why kind of entrepreneurship is is bigger in the States and maybe even bigger in Canada, because in Canada, you don't need to worry about uh, health insurance, right? Solopreneurship in Canada is easier just for just because of that reason. You're not going to die <laughs> from a health related problem. What a good benefit, man. It's a basic right. Yeah, it's scary. Life, life, liberty, and free, or what's the three things? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right. So life comes first. <laughs> yeah. In it's, I think it's in the US at least, that's one of the main reasons people are afraid to it's, look at it from a different angle. It's not that they're afraid of something, it's that, that they think that's the, one of the safest and, and good ways to actually live in the states just because by having an employer you're having health insurance you know you get what you're talking about right the basic right to be healthy to be alive yeah so it's an instinct thing right it it totally makes sense i'm scared shitless because my personal health insurance my and my wife's it runs out like in two weeks basically and then i don't know if you ever heard of this or done something you probably didn't because you're in canada but like the marketplaces of those health insurance companies or like whatever, I think it was Obama's program. I'm not familiar, but I think the healthcare.gov is Obama's thing. It's all such a mess that even just thinking about this makes me want, okay, maybe I do want to go back to full-time. I'm not gonna, but, but it's just- I understand that the risk you're taking by being a solopreneur with the idea of living off your savings mm-hmm. is perfectly valid when uh, your savings, like the, the basic idea is living off your savings is perfectly valid if your savings can cover what you need for life. And if you take your expenses, you divide whatever you have by the expenses you have on a monthly basis, and you take a little bit of emergency into account, you can calculate your runway. But how the hell do you figure out like a $200,000 expense in a medical thing <laughs> that may just come out of nowhere? Yeah. Exactly. Right? Even, there's, if there's, there's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even if you do have 200,000. Yeah, exactly. Even if you do have $200,000. And because of the way the system, the healthcare system is set up in the US, it's actually way more expensive to pay out of pocket than whatever the insurance mm-hmm. companies pay for the same service. I don't actually have any good ideas about this. This is really, this is an no, actual it's... problem in the States. Like it's, it, that's maybe that's one of the reasons it makes more sense to build a bigger funded VC funded company and actually I, just, I was just gonna say this in yeah. the states 
rather than in other places. Yeah. Yeah. Most it's, of the solopreneurs I see on, on, on Twitter, and I just realized that uh -huh. that might be the reason. Lots of Canadians, lots of people from Europe, not quite as many from the States. Mm -hmm. And the, because it's like the land of the free makes it way more sensible to hold on to a job for as long as you possibly can until you create not sustainable income. It's not ramen profitability. It's ER <laughs> profitability. That's what you actually need in the States. <laughs> it's cool, right? Think about it. Make a business that will just allow you to pay for a ticket to Canada or another country that has a healthcare. <laughs> Boom, you're done. You're already like ER profitable because you don't need to work. Exactly. Scary, though, but... Even though life in Canada yeah. is uh, on average, I think more expensive than in the States. It depends on where, where you are. Sure. But that's... I don't think Canada fully understands as a country, fully it's understands benefits. the benefit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because there's, it's really like Canada mm -hmm. is not considered generally as a good place to start a business, but that's because starting a business is typically thought of as large businesses. Yeah. But Canada is an amazing it's scary. place to, <laughs> yeah, Canada is an amazing place to just get laid off. <laughs> and start your own small thing because no, the risks are that much it, lower. It, it's totally true. Look at Estonia, for instance. I think when I was in school, like ninth grade or something, and it's roughly when I started PHP, actually, and MySQL. I, I watched Social Network. Yay. Mark Zuckerberg was my hero. And I'm like, damn, that's genius. I know how stupid I was. But hey, to be clear, he's a really smart guy. Obviously. Some decisions are pretty weird today, to say the least. But I mean... Right now, I support him because I don't like Twitter. But anyway, that's a separate topic. What I was going to say is that, yeah, I got inspired by this. And like, I always with websites. Like I said, I, I started as a Warcraft player when I was like, I don't know, 10 or something. And my guild needed a website. At the time in Ukraine, there was this really popular site builder called ukos.net. I think it's Russian. I don't know exactly. I think it is. Makes you think like how old the site builders are if <laughs> you think about it like it's yes. such, no, such it's it did not start with framer and it did not start with web <laughs> definitely not. and definitely it actually not. didn't start with site builders either because i'm a little older than you are yeah <laughs> and the idea that you can drag and drop things Dreamweaver? into being hmm? was that dream weaver was that adobe thing yeah but uh -huh. that was for the web i'm talking like pre-web uh, okay. So Visual Basic was like that. And we're talking like 1997 uh, or so. And if you go even further back, there was something called Magic, which was just even text-based, but it was still something you built visually. Uh -huh. like you built this little, these little windows and these little dialogues and menus with a resolution of 80 characters by 25 characters, and that's it. And I it need was, to look it up. But, but it's, it was still the same idea that you don't mm -hmm. want to be writing code to create something visual. So right. this idea is at least, at least 30 years old at, yeah, at the very least. It, yeah. And, but it's 30 years old only because mm -hmm. I'm 43 and that's around the time when I started coding for real, You can remember 12 yeah, or 13. Yeah. But I think that if we talk to someone who's 60, they would tell me like, oh, you youngsters, you don't know anything. We used to do this <laughs> on the mainframe 360. We had something like that, which wouldn't surprise me because I've seen things like that when I was in the military. 
Um, so some things are new, but they mm-hmm. are. That's why I was so excited about the new generation of AIs because this was actually new. It's the right. first actually new thing I've seen in my entire career. Because the I thing think I was listening. Uh-huh. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just I was just want to say I think I was listening. I just wanted to confirm your thought. Basically, I was listening to this podcast by Rob Walling, who's the mm-hmm. I think he's the founder of Tiny Seed. He has like lots of good material. His book Start Small, Stay Small is really interesting and cool. Although it's like a bit dated. To- about like SEO stuff, but it's 2009. Anyway, he has this really cool podcast. And I think think he was talking with his co-founder of Tiny Seed about AI and what are the mistakes current entrepreneurs can make, but like by doing some pretty basic stuff with chat GPT and all, or just AI in general. And I really liked how he, I forgot the name of the co-founder, but anyway, he was just talking about how big of a shift in the industry the current stage of AI is. It's not, I love how he said it. He said, it's not your another NFT bullshit or crypto scam <laughs> or all that stuff. Because, and to be full disclosure, I, I hate how crypto folks started calling this kind of generation Web3. Who told you you can name the next web after your scammy market? But anyway, that's my personal opinion. What I was saying though, is yeah, like he he really interestingly describes it and compares it to introduction of iPhone. So the phone that has now fully supported, fully functional touchscreen that's actually working because touchscreen, it was there yep. before. The same as AI. And this guy, he actually, I think he wrote his, was it the dissertation in the university or something? I forgot. Basically, he did some like scientific work regarding a research work in his early ages about the AI. And it was like 20 years ago. And at the time, and then I can he's I can speak about it because I know how absolutely useless it was at the time. But like today, this actually feels like this is something. So it's definitely interesting. But I'm a little skeptical in regards to this whole fear of missing out. So I'm trying to be careful and like just observe for now. But oh yeah, the fear of missing out and the desire to go and build something based on AI, that's definitely just a fear. Uh, that's what I mean about, I remember I was talking about these people who like entrepreneurs who like know they can instantly think of, of, of a niche and catch something versus like people who can scratch something on, of their own. It's probably that too. I don't want to just fall into this. Oh, there is a business market for this. Like I need to get on, on this train. There's something I wanted to say about this because yeah. the in order to be able to take an opportunity like that, and jump onto it quickly and actually make something out of it. Because this this market, the AI market, is moving incredibly fast. Actually, it has moved away already. So hmm. there were like two or three months when, once after the, the ChatGPT API was became available where you could build a ChatGPT wrapper and actually make something yeah. with it. So the people who were well-positioned to be able to do something with it needed to have at least two qualities. They needed to be like the kind of person who jumps like or leaps into an opportunity when it presents itself. But they also need to already have all the skills, all the all the mental blocks removed. They need to know how to build, how to sell, how they need they usually need to have an audience already to be able to sell it to. They actually yeah. need to be like Peter Levels, for example. He, mm-hmm. he is the kind of guy who's ready to take uh, that kind of opportunity and use it. And most people don't, right? Most people don't. So when we feel this fear of missing out, 
it also is because we can't actually make use of that opportunity. So for example, I have two kids, I have some free freelancing clients, and I thought, oh, I'll build some AI kind of thing. And I'm a little rusty with coding too, because I haven't coded for about three years. I'll, like, I'll build something. And I sat mm -hmm. down to build something and three hours in, I'm like, this is just not going to work because I can't spend 20 hours. I, I, I don't have the capacity to spend 20 hours a day coding something for a week and then come out with something magnificent anymore. I could when I was 20, maybe 25, but I can't do that anymore. And there are people who can and will, and, and, and this is a time thing. You do it in two or three weeks, you're still on the wave. You're doing it four months later, the wave has gone and you're like just laggard trying to catch. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, okay, this is the wrong opportunity. And there's this interesting thing. I think it's um, it's uh, Warren Buffett's idea that you there is no opportunity cost for sitting quietly and waiting for the right opportunity to arrive, <laughs> which you are uniquely capable of taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. So this is like the fear of missing out typically arises when these are not opportunities that you're uniquely capable of taking advantage of. So the best situation is where it's your own itch or your own set of skills or your own something. And it is also, you know, it's also a, a shovel in a gold rush. Not every <laughs> shovel in a gold rush needs to be made by everybody. So we yeah. sit and we wait patiently. Now, obviously, Warren Buffett can afford to wait. We actually need <laughs> to make some money. <laughs> but in general, it, let's say your expenses are taken care of and you are this opportunity-seeking person. You're seeking opportunities that interest you, that excite you, that that are that would use your skills well. And then you grab onto that. But just talking about this, I think that it's not about people who jump on opportunities in general. Mm -hmm. It's certain opportunities attract certain people at a certain stage. I can see that, yeah. So you would also leap on an opportunity if it lands within your sphere of understanding and knowledge and suddenly becomes this, and you would also see it earlier than other people, right? Maybe there's whatever you're building for, for managing expenses, and maybe there's some regulatory change in the states that mm -hmm. changes what kind of business expenses you can have like tax deducted right and right. It's, it's this tiny niche thing that only people who do this kind of work would even notice that's happening but for you it's like oh this is amazing i can build a whole thing because i'm already in it yeah because I you're already you in it right mm -hmm. and someone else mm -hmm. would look oh this guy he knows how to capture an opportunity he like yeah. has a keen eye for the best opportunities there are, but that's not true. You were, you're just embedded in a thing and you see it before other people do. It's the same with, it's the same with the vision pro, the new Apple's product thing. Like yeah. I, as a designer and as a developer, I really do not enjoy all this like design community to be honest. Like they're really for me, design is a skill, right? I just, I learned how to do it. And I applied this throughout my career to help my either clients or the companies that I work for to achieve certain results. Like for me, this is just what I can do. I'm okay at that. I don't think I'm like great, but I'm okay. I can do some things. And that's pretty much how I think about design. They're like 
the design community and Twitter specifically, they jump on things as if this is like the meaning of life. Design is everywhere. Of course it is. But so the reason I bring the up Vision Pro in this is there's this one guy who, whose company got acquired by Figma recently, and he talks about Vision Pro. If you're not learning the new uh, interface guidelines of Vision Pro today, like you're going to be out next decade or something. I don't, it's not his quote specifically, but he, he talks in the lines of that. And by, by creating this fear of missing out for designers who are barely trying to get their shit together on like their projects or something, like now you got to jump into Vision Pro and learn that stuff. Learning new stuff is really important. But also, if you haven't been into the AR or VR and it's not your like industry, I think just like creating that fear of missing out because this is like an opportunity to shove it literally shove it into your existing business idea this feels like ai this is the same thing as with ChatGPT. they're just like this is trendy this is booming and they're like how can we use this in our thing I, something does not connect for this with me like maybe that's why I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> you know, I allowed this. You're not a millionaire yet. You're a temporarily disgruntled millionaire <laughs> in the making. <laughs> Possibly, hopefully. But yeah, it's just one of those things that I really wish I could understand better. Is that just jumping on a hype train, essentially? You, you, you can't know. That's, you can't yeah, tell. that's true. You can't tell. The reason you can't tell is because you don't know if this is going to be a tiny little wave or if this is going to be a tsunami that takes over the world. And that's why so I'm waiting out. Jumping, yeah, jumping on the NFT train back in the day. Like we're not talking with like now we have perfect hindsight. But back in the day, some people thought this would be an actual profound revolution of art. Mm. And that the people who jump early on it would become millionaire artists, which is a rare thing. And some people actually did for, for a really short period of time. But that turned out to be a dud. But you can't know that it's going to be a dud. You probably thought it, it would be a dud, but some other very smart people thought it would be the next best thing. So you can't rely on any one person's opinion and you can't even rely on the opinion of the market to tell you if this is going to be huge or just a blip. You can only do it in hindsight. So 10 years later, you can say, oh, I should have invested in NFTs. <laughs> but as it's happening, like the, the people who get big on, let's take threads, for example. Right, This is happening right now. Threads is new. Threads is awesome. So many people are joining. Lots of fear of missing out is flying around. And you can't tell if this is going to be the next Instagram, Snapchat kind of amazing success kind of thing, or it's going to be the next Google Plus. Clubhouse. That, yeah, or, or Clubhouse, <laughs> which was, yeah, Clubhouse is even a better example, which it blipped and then it disappeared. And whoever put a lot of effort into it disappeared with it as well. So you can't tell. And therefore, from my perspective, a good rule of thumb is not whether this is trendy or the right thing for many other people, but is this the right thing for me? So Threads is an excellent opportunity for people who like Twitter, but are actually sick of it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You do that. You do Mastodon. You do Blue Sky. You do whatever Twitter alternatives there are, because if you enjoy the kind of Twitter way of interacting, but Twitter and the politics of Twitter are really annoying to you, by all means, 
but because you would have done it anyway right you're just waiting for the opportunity to go jump ship that i'm like mm. go for it but if you're not i'm i'm enjoying twitter i don't see a lot of the twitter mess i've learned to live in my own twitter bubble which is amazing and wonderful and very friendly and i never go to the main line tweets that the elon musk kind of craziness oh, i don't even follow him yeah it's and for me i'm like i'm really enjoying twitter i would leave if people would mm. stop coming and it would become empty then i would leave and i would be a laggard to whatever platform that emerges as the next thing but i don't i'm not currently looking for anything else why would i it would detract me from and distract me from the things that i actually am interested in it's billionaires fighting man basically helping exactly and it doesn't mean it's better and it doesn't mean it's it would be better it could be and people who are early on threads would thrive there if threads is successful but you can't tell this is this is the thing with every kind of decision making all everything you need to know to make the best decision is in the future most of what you need to know if you're making the right decision right now is unavailable yep. but you do know yourself you do know your own tendencies you do know your own skill sets your own aspirations and basing decisions on that seems to be a much better way to get somewhere rather than following this trend or that because you can you just can't tell so i actually have a question for you on this i think we are just like at the top of my current hill that i'm trying to climb on anyway let's stop with the with alteration let me just get into this so basically so <laughs> the my metaphor the first apart. <laughs> product that i started and by product my own thing right just not the, the projects that i was doing for somebody it's, it's called collecta it was also my own itch it's basically like a tool to organize screenshots that you take throughout your entire day as a designer because designers tend to like software engineers to like basically computer people how my yeah. mom called it they tend to take a lot of screenshots and I personally just see a cool website or see a cool footer on the website or like some UI decision that was made by somebody else. I'm like, damn, I need to remember that because this seems like a good practice. And I screenshot that, but I just never had a proper place to, to bury all that stuff because Pinterest is a mess. Like that's basically stealing all from you, like all, every move of yours and shows you ads. So that's just not an option for me. Dropbox, all that stuff. And I'm like, damn, why don't I just build a site that just basically like folders, but also as a screenshot tool. And that's how my friend from Ukraine, who with whom we've been working for like 12 years at this point on design agency projects, we just decided to just get on this and try to launch like a landing page. We got 600 subscribers and all. And wow, this seems to be rare. Yeah. Oh my God. But no, it, we actually, I wrote you this. We actually had, I think like about 20 or 30 daily active users throughout the beta. So it was like roughly two, three months. So that was relatively steady. That's pretty nice. Uh, yeah. And I was excited. Wow. This is actually getting somewhere or maybe two months. I don't know. But then, okay. How do we make money out of this? And we were talking to people about through emails, basically, we're talking. Oh, and by the way, I was reading the mom test at the time. So I want to talk about that too. It's to your to your advice regarding, okay, talk to your customers. But like, where do you get customers from? The mom, uh, the mom really test want... is the Bible. This is like, it's amazing. We, we it's pray amazing. on the mom test every night. This is no, how it works. 
Rob Fitzpatrick is such a such an amazing guy. Actually, it's a funny story about about how I got the book. So actually, I was on on his Gumroad page and I was trying to purchase it, but the link didn't work. I was like, "Hey, man, I'm trying to." Oh, and actually, the Gumroad link I got from the YC Startup School when Collecta was at the YC Startup School, and because it was a discount of some sort, I don't remember. Why don't you take a discount? <laughs> and I was out of job too, so don't judge me. I was. I needed discounts. <laughs> anyway, no and we judgment. just, yeah, and I was just there. So YC Startup School has this like a really cool list for, for participants of the school of certain deals. And there was like a deal for Rob Fitzpatrick's The Mountains. Damn, that's an amazing book. I heard about it a lot. I need to buy it. So I went to this Gumroad page and the link didn't work. The pay button didn't work. I was like, hey, I'm trying to buy it, but is there you know, any other way for me to to get the book, like maybe an Amazon or something. I swear to God, I did not expect anything, but he just sent me back the book like for free. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting this at all. I, I just, it's internet. I generally try to help people who you know, have broken links or something. I, I do that. Sometimes customer support of certain products hate me, I bet, but that's a separate topic. And yeah, and he just sent me the book and I'm like, wow, oh, thank you so much. So I read the book. I made notes. I didn't remember shit. Like I'm really bad at remembering things in the books. So I'm reading this again today. And as I'm doing that, I actually realized this is all great advice for when you talk to people. But I sit in my room and people are, are not the there. <laughs> yeah, they're not here. And people are in the emails. Like it, it makes sense to ask them, them these kind of questions, but it's really... It's a different scenario. It's like a different nature around you because, you know, if you ask people something really direct, they're going to tell you what you're expecting. But that's an email. Like when you're in a conversation, you can measure the pulse differently. So that's just something, that's just a lot of mistakes that I've done with Collective. That's what I'm saying. So basically we got false positive on our subscription model and it's like $8 a month. And as we introduced the subscription the DAO just tanked to two people. And then I realized one of them was I. <laughs> oh, and, dear. Yeah, and I swear, I still... And, but it's worth saying that as we introduced the subscription, we actually got, I think, eight... I think it was eight prepaid annual plans. So I actually, in the beginning, thought this is going well. But for some reason, people just started leaving. So I don't want to make the same mistakes with Vita and introduce some weird subscription models actually I'm thinking of one-time payment what i was trying to land on is that i think partially it was because there is a lot of competition in b2c in general and like b2c is just really difficult and i'm trying to find an opportunity because that's what i heard about the opportunities in for this product to be in b2b somehow um and okay is that a trend is that what I'm actually <laughs> right on or not? I'm I'm really confused to be honest because so, I like the idea. I'll, but... I'll I'll give you I'll give you some of my thoughts about this because okay. I I obviously think a lot about this both for my own sake and for the people I work for. There is an interesting context to being a solopreneur, and like you said, it comes in two flavors. One flavor is I'm either working at a job or doing freelancing. So I have something to live off. Basically, I have an infinite financial runway, right? And then I build something on the side. And then monetizing is okay if it takes a long time, mm -hmm. right? It's, and, and 
just from my personal experience and like the people I've talked to, monetizing SaaS takes a long time. Profitability could be three years, could be five years, could be seven. It's extremely rare to get there within a year, usually because of luck, not because of skill, or it's someone who's done this before and knows all the moves and already collected. Like there, it's like a 250 story building <laughs> that you need to build to make everything work. The product and the sale and the message and the landing and the, the funnels and the channels, all these things, they all need to converge. And they all need to converge at some scale to be able to make enough money to live off in a consistent way so that the churn doesn't take bites out of the income you need to actually buy groceries. The path to build a successful, sustainable product-based business is very long. And my initial mistake, and a lot of other people made the same mistake as I've built the product the only thing I need is marketing. I can probably swing it in six months. And then within six months, I will have sustainable income and I don't need a job anymore. That's not the timeline for most people. For most people, that's not the timeline. Actually, the only, the only recent product I've seen to get to sustainable level income within a very short time frame is Feather Dotted by a guy named Banu. Is that the, the website builder? Sure. It's it's a notion to blog kind of thing. Oh yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah. It's a I, I'm a I'm a paying customer. I was one of the first, and mm -hmm. it's a really well built product. But the reason Banu was able to make as much money per month as he has is actually blind luck. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised because I saw this before, and their pricing model is kind of makes me think wow, they must be really fitting into some itch in there because... Yes, it was the pricing model that made it work, initially at least, because Easy. they didn't yeah. he didn't price it based on the number of domains you register, but huh. on traffic. So it, it really fit if with people use, who were experimenting yeah. a lot. But that's mm. blind luck. That's not like... I, I talked to him. He said, I have no idea. Like he probably knows a lot more than I do about how to grow a product by now. But initially the first six months or so, he's I don't know what's going on. I'm just posting my MRR numbers on Twitter and people come. That's Hell, not... Man. <laughs> that's... But, but that's um, not a way. That's not a fundamental yeah, no. principle of how products work. It's cool. Anyway, back to my point. Making sustainable income from product is difficult and it takes a lot of time. That's why the common advice is either have a job or have like sustainable income from freelancing while you're doing this, because hoping to get income from product within whatever short runway you may have is way too risky. And that's the conclusion I came to as well, that that's difficult. Now, that's doubly difficult when you're going after consumers. Consumers are fickle. Consumers buy because of emotions. Consumers churn a lot more easily than than businesses because businesses typically, when they like a business, when you start using, I don't know, something like Notion and you put all your documents and tables and things yeah. in it, moving Turning to something that. else yeah. is is like a big thing, right? As Notion can notch their prices up every now and again, and you'd still stay with them because the cost of switching is uh, so huge. It's very rare for consumers to actually use something for which the cost of switching is significant. I just wanted to put the your 
um, desire to monetize Zvit mm-hmm. into that context. Right? The, the context is, yes, it's important. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are ways to make it better, faster, smoother. No, I would not expect it to make you a full salary within six months or probably even a year. Mm-hmm. It's just an expectation management thing. I'm, I probably wouldn't have listened if anybody had told me this when I started my journey with a different type of app. It was three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. I had this idea that like the app's ready. It's awesome. It's all great. I've had some friends try it out. It was great. And I probably need six months to make whatever, three or $4,000 a month. Uh, turns out that after six months, I was making $60. (laughs) 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 So yeah, that was like, you could, you can definitely do a lot better (laughs) than that. This was my very poor first attempt. I learned a bunch since then, but it's just a timeline. thing. What was the app? Oh, it's called, yeah, it's called Wuju. It's a... The simple thing, the simple way to describe it is that it's a stress relief app. Oh, I, I heard you talking about that, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like, uh-huh. you, oh, please go. You basically, if you feel stressed, you feel angry, you feel tired or exhausted or burnt out, you go into the app. There is a, there is a way to understand what kind of emotion you're feeling. And there is a process to go through to let that emotion dissipate and disappear. And it actually works extremely well. I, at one point, posted this article on Hacker News that said I built an app that healed my depression, which is true, because the app did heal. Like, I, I used to have depression for, for a long time and, and anger management problems, and I don't have any of that anymore. And the app is responsible for that. And to me, it sounds like this is this is the best thing since sliced bread. Of course, people are going to use it. Mm-hmm. But the problem with things we built to scratch our own itch is that and that's something that someone actually one of the commenters on hacker news told me about would you he said oh so i know what i need to do if i want to heal my own depression i need to build an app to heal my own i love that yeah i heard that i love that it's it was like i was listening to this in my car i was like damn it (laughs) it actually it's so familiar to me and, and, and that's the problem because who are the people who scratch their own issues? They're mm-hmm. developers who build things. They can right? do that too, yeah. And they can do that too. And it's not it's more than they can do that too. How many different ways have you tried to solve the problem that you're solving with Svit mm-hmm. by not writing code? You probably poked at three, four different ways to do that. And there's, oh, I should build something. Because building is easy. It's actually easier for people like you and me to do than to actually do proper research. Yes. To actually, to actually go out of our way and devote hours, if not days, if not weeks, looking for a solution and not building one. I don't know any developer who is capable of doing that. Because that's what we're used to. Yeah, that's what yeah, Rob like, Patrick. It's, and, uh, and it sounds easy, right? I'll just build an app. And it turns out not yeah. to be that easy, but it's still easier. Like even if building takes a few months, it's still easier than sitting for a few hours and doing manual kind of clicking, clickety-click research. But is it worth it? Is solving this problem actually that's, worth that's the money? That's the question. And that's yeah. why not all itches are made equal. Yeah. Because yeah. the itch, the actual itch might be to build. Mm-hmm. 
and not to use. And if you ask yourself whether you would have paid 20 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or whatever, or if it did exist before you build it, I don't know what your answer would be, but in many cases, the answer is I would probably not even found it, not to mention paid for it. I certainly would not pay for another financial app uh, as a monthly recurring thing. There's so many of them. I've used a lot. And, that, and again, uh-huh. and that points, so just to complete that thought. Oh, yes. That points to the solution to this conundrum. Building something based on our own itch harnesses our motivation. And that's awesome. It does not make it into a business. To make it into a business, we need to find people who are profoundly unlike us. The kind of person who would pay for something instead of building it. Who, for some reason, would find some version of what we've built useful. So that's why my basic idea is like you take an app that you've built, you deconstruct it into the things that it does, its features, break it apart. And then once you've done that, you can, you take different looks on these subsets of features and what kind of benefits it could give to other people who are profoundly unlike you, who are people with money, with some sort of pain that you can resolve and that they would actually prefer to pay money for this rather than build it themselves. Building their own, yeah. By definition, these would Mm -hmm. not be developers. No, certainly not. So selling to people like us is a really bad idea. (laughs) By the way, that's what I'm doing. I'm selling to people like me, which is why it's really hard. Selling my consulting services to other solopreneurs is really hard. But in general, if you want to make a successful business when you're starting out, you need to sell upwards. You need to sell to people who have more money, who have more resources, and who are typically slightly higher than you on the social ladder. Maybe not higher by seven rungs, but by a couple. Right. That's like the actual trickle-down economy, where you make it... By pulling, (laughs) by opening the spigot above your head, then it actually Uh trickles down. It doesn't trickle down by itself. The invisible hand is actually very visible. It's small time Mm -hmm. businesses selling to big businesses. Um, And that's also why selling, that's also why B2B and selling to businesses is better than selling to consumers because consumers are either like us, so our peers, or in many cases, they are it sounds judgmental, but below us on the social scale. Mm-hmm. But you can only do that if you can do scale. And solopreneurs can't do scale. Scale costs money and takes a lot of time. Like scale typically requires DC money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't. Like even, even if you can charge, uh, say, $20 per month, which is not a small amount for consumer software, right? Netflix yeah, is yeah. is way cheaper. Spotify is slightly cheaper. So $20 a month is a lot for consumer software. But even if you can cha- charge that, you need what? Like 500 customers consistently to make a living? Something like Consistent. that? Consistently. Yeah. So you have churn. So if you have 500 customers, then you probably have something like 20 leaving every month. So you need you need enough marketing to, to maintain that. That's a lot of work. It's not the magic of MRR disappears when you realize that everyone has a limited lifetime on your app 
especially with consumers. So you always need more people. So it's not actually that different from a lifetime deal. It's just spread out over a longer period. Anyway, once you realize that and, and you understand how difficult it is to get every customer, it's like 500 customers. That's going to be a lot of work and a lot of time and build enough of a funnel, enough of a system to keep that consistent so it doesn't drop. That's a lot of work. And again, that's why B2B for, again, for solopreneurs, not for all businesses in the world, but B2B in general, if you get licenses that are $100 a month, a couple of hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. that's typically easier to manage. Both if it's niche enough, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but then we started asking this question. I built it for swipe and swipe out expense management. Who the hell would pay $200 a month for that? No, that's the thing. That's the thing. That's what I'm trying to, to, to land on internally is whether I do need to move towards this B2C thing or actually mirror this to bookkeepers. That's, that's another thing that I was thinking of. Because yeah, swiping, it looks fun. Feels probably fun. But would you, I'm still not sure basically would, would people care enough for... Again, it's not a subscription. I don't think it's a subscription. But even if the current thinking is that you're going to pay for export, like when you actually need to file your taxes, um, possibly that's where all your prepared thing that you were carrying and swiping for throughout the year is ready for you. And then you pay for the export. And still, it's, yeah, like people may not even be used to that. To more extent, if they're only starting, unless again, unless they're on W two, which is like the, the full time in the United States, and then they're uh, doing something on the side. If that's the case, they have money to pay for that. But if they're just starting, they're going to be really careful about their expenses in general. Exactly. Like myself, for example, I, I exactly. count every dollar. So that's what I'm, I'm thinking because I was talking to, speaking of validation, I was talking to, I just shared like a few questions on Reddit, like bookkeepers and freelance on self-employed, just questions around the idea, but not actually exposing the idea. I did expose the idea in one, but generally I was just trying to get a sense of, you know, even are people even thinking towards this direction that I'm guessing or not. And what I heard from a lot of bookkeepers, for example, is that they, that's the majority of self-employed who actually come to them with all their expenses being messed up with to get like mushed up actually together with personal. And I initially thought, damn, that, that, yes, exactly. That's my validation. It's right there. But no, dude, stop. It's, it's not necessarily what they're saying. Maybe what they're saying is that they have this issue, but maybe people don't care because people keep bringing this mushed up expenses mushed to up, bookkeepers yeah, yeah. and they're fine with that. Is the bookkeeper's work to clean that up. So there's, so there, there's yeah. your answer. That's the answer to your question. Yeah, maybe it's... So if you talk to 10 bookkeepers, not on Reddit, mm. not an email, like actually, like we're, we've been talking for an hour and a half. You have yes. 10 hour and a half long conversations with bookkeepers who work with solopreneurs. I guarantee you'll find something. You may not find what Svet solves. But I guarantee you, you'll find something because this is a narrow enough niche Mm -hmm. that will have some problems unsolved. These may not be problems you can solve. Some of these problems may not even be software solvable, or they may not be solvable by a solopreneur. But you will find something that is common to all of them 
that they are all struggling with and that they would all pay money for. And then you have a question of whether you want to do it or not. Or Yeah, because fighting into it. Yeah, fighting into it. Yeah, you can integrate with into it maybe and do some something, whatever, a Chrome extension that does an into it thing. Who knows? Like lots of options, but these options only become available when the when your target audience intimately. And it's funny because I don't know if if Rob mentions that mentions this in the mum test, mm-hmm. but you actually need very few conversations to get those insights. You don't need a hundred conversations. There's this, I, I saw this, there was this research paper. They tried to figure out like when exploring a new target market or something like that, when you talk to people in the same niche, when do you stop hearing new things? Like basically you talk to the first bookkeeper. What do you do? How does your day mm-hmm. look like? What kind of clients do you have? What is bookkeeping? You ask all the stupid questions, right? Yeah. And then you have like, dozens of insights about the industry and about the vertical in in a single conversation the next conversation it's not as you're not as clueless right because you are similar right they're like if you're exactly in the same industry Mm -hmm. you're oh and i talked to this other bookkeeper he does it this way how do you do it and you start Mm -hmm. to sound like you know what you're talking about Right by the fifth or or sixth person you're talking to, you're like, I've been talking to bookkeepers, and in general, people seem to be doing it this way. How do you do it? Now you sound like an expert, but you don't only sound like an expert; you already are. Because how <laughs> because many you know all the spend, general stuff? Yeah, because yeah. how many people? Not an expert in bookkeeping, but an expert in right, understanding right. how bookkeeping looks from the perspective of, of an engineer, mm-hmm. right? So, and. And I think it, you get to significantly diminishing returns after about seven conversations and they dwindle to nothing after 12. That's the level. Now, dude, we're coders, right? Our natural state <laughs> is to type things on a computer, not talk to people. Yeah. So conversations is a lot. It's 12 yes. hours of FaceTime with people we've never met before. I realized this is quite an ask. However, it's also not insurmountable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this kind of research project I can get my head around. Most people can get their head around. And if you talk to 12 bookkeepers who work with, with solo developers or solopreneurs, you will know <laughs> Sorry, most of what there is to know about this. And if there is a problem that you can mm-hmm. solve using bits of Zvit to solve and sell to these people, you will know. Yeah. I will, I'll tell you more than that. There's a there's a likelihood you will have sold a couple, right? Because if you by the by the eighth or ninth, you will like listen. I have this idea about what you're talking about. Like you do the mum test and you, you ask them about their problems and you, re- you relate to them because you already know about the problem you're talking about. Yeah, you like, don't start I have this idea. Because yeah. you would you will naturally start over these conversations. You will naturally start drawing things on napkins and coming up with ways to solve. <laughs> as a dev, we're, we're, right. there's we're a problem. Solutioning right away. Yeah. Solutioning, exactly. So yeah. 
you will start talking about how this could be resolved and getting feedback on whether this is actually the solution or this. Yeah, but you know what? I have my assistant do all that and I don't trust software that much. And then you're not, you're not in the like, you're not it's talking- still It's still validation. It's just validation that- yeah, exactly. That, I guess I was just trying to say that it's still validating the idea. Just you're validating that it's actually not valid. So it's still val invalid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're still successful there. Yeah, and, it's very interesting. And I think that's so. This is what Rob was talking about in this book, but he wasn't doing it for solopreneurs. He was doing it for like most of what he wrote is for funded companies. Exactly. So, so his technique. So basically, what I did, like my own technique, is like uh -huh. the mom test. But for within the limitations and the specific situation of solopreneurs, because you don't write cold emails to bookkeepers in the way you would reach out to a VP in a big company that you want to sell to or a VC or something like there are many ways to do that. But the way that Rob is describing in his book is not the way because his technique is when you're reaching bottom up. Like you are just a nobody and you're asking for advice. That's his basic premise. Excellent way if you're trying to get, I don't know, Tim Ferriss to, <laughs> to respond to you. Uh, but if you're reaching out to a nobody bookkeeper kind of person, then that is just not the way. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really, that's what I wanted to, to ask about too. I, I mentioned this earlier that, you know, he may be, talks about this in the book again I like I said I'm really bad at remembering things from the books like I need to reread stuff or make notes and then reread the notes but the questions are valid and the, the logic there makes sense because again you don't want to get bought in for your idea because people are people pleasers right they're not comfortable in saying the truth right in front of you yeah. so that makes sense but where do you actually start those conversations I think he, he touches on that I may be just forgetting but like in this solopreneur slash indie hacker kind of situation, because I have this one person on Reddit as an example, who was responding to every post that I was asking the questions around, around the topic. And they were super helpful. And I can sense that they know a lot, but is that the way to like, like DM them and say, hey, can you, like you said, jump on a call with me? Is that a, there is a very simple answer to your question. Is it working? I don't know. I need to try, but I'm just, like I said. Well, for now, for now, you've been asking questions and this person. Got oh, you mean like in Reddit? Is answering. Um, like you, you are doing it and it is working. <laughs> then why would you ask me how to do it? <laughs> you have, I guess I'm trying to understand like. Works. Well, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see it from that perspective. I just want to make sure if that's the right thing too, because like he talks, Rob, for instance, talks about live conversations. Yes. Uh, I'm just wondering, do you need to have live conversations to, yes. to relate those ideas? Absolutely. I see. However, there's uh. one uh, caveat with this. A live conversation, like a video call, is the best thing. Yeah. But an interactive chat, which is huh. like, you're both online at the same time and like you're fully uh -huh. immersed in the chat uh -huh. is a close second. And yeah. actually, in some ways, it's even better because, first of all, you have the full transcript. Mm -hmm. You can think a little bit about what to say. Hello. And I'll pitch myself for a sec. If I'm guiding you through this process, you can even send me a screenshot 
Ooh, that would be fun. Then I can help you figure out. Sometimes people, people that I I work with, do have、uh-huh. these conversations. Sometimes the conversations, the conversation kind of gets stuck. You you're not sure what to ask next, or you or、uh-huh. you think, oh, this answer he's given me that means this is not the thing. Or like you said, oh, it's validated. It's probably neither. I can be the this third person in the conversation, which is impossible in 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 a real time video chat. But this only works if it's an actual live chat. So both of you are online at the same time,、mm-hmm. and you talk. And usually these conversations can be pretty long. Like you can chat for an hour、yeah. on 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 Reddit chat and get a lot of really juicy bits. But if if you exchange messages, which is through whatever medium, but it's once a day, it just、mm-hmm. doesn't have the same energy. And you can't get to the same depth. So you ask a question, the answer a question. You ask a follow up, the answer that. By the time you ask the third question, kind of peters out. Like you can't keep it going.、It's、that's what I feel. Enough to either. That's what I feel、party. right now in the comments.、Yeah. Like I can. I mean, I can tell. I'm like almost certain I'm asking the right question. I'm not pointing to an idea, right? I'm just like asking about what are the challenges there. And I'm just following up. Like, how often do you have this challenge? What have you tried to solve this with? And you know all that stuff. But like, their answers are so correct. Like they well, because your questions are predictable. I guess that's true too. Like the your your questions sound like fishing. Yeah, they do not. No, sound, I... they do not sound like a conversation. <laughs> yeah, if you actually ask these questions in that way, because it takes a little more. <clears throat> Unclenching over anus. <laughs> to be, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah,、uh, to actually be able to make that conversation into something that、mm-hmm. sounds natural, because it needs to sound as if you're actually curious, and you need to have a good reason to be curious. So、right. there is a very there is a very subtle point where you need to introduce the fact that you were. Working on a solution to a problem in that space, or you've been like something, because you need because if you don't provide a reason, it becomes weird. Like the questions become weird. Like you can ask two or three questions, and that's, there's this natural th- sense of like, why are you asking me all these questions?、Mm-hmm. And so you need to, at some point, like you don't do it upfront. You you need to provide a reason, but you need to provide it in a, in an obfuscated enough way. That they don't ask you for a URL because once they do, you've lost it. Because once they they ask for the URL, the conversation、mm-hmm. instantly shifts. If it continues at all, it instantly shifts to what features you should be adding. Yeah, and that's just and it's like a yeah, it doesn't count at all unless they're actually、yeah. already paying. But even yeah, yeah, no, and even that,、mm-hmm. like the only feature requests are like. I will pay you more if you add this. Oh this is, yeah, this is a real yeah, yeah. feature request, right? <laughs> Everything else is a suggestion, at best. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to、okay. me that typically in these conversations, I would suggest a niche for you to explore. But I think you've already landed on one that's worth exploring. Personally, I don't think Zvit in its current form would be a bookkeeper's thing. I don't think they would. I don't think bookkeepers swipe. <laughs> exactly. Some are young. <laughs> I imagine some swipe for other other reasons. But、yeah. but that's besides the point. Is you have you、mm. have worked within the space of categorizing expenses. You have thought a lot about this. 
So you're interested in this. And there is some sense of that problem existing, whether it's the bookkeeper's problem or their client's problem, or who knows, the tax authority's problem. Someone in this mess has a problem. Maybe the solution is some kind of, you'll have a chance for your, to feed the AI fear of missing out thing, because maybe some of the categorization can be even automated. Everybody thinks about that. And that's, that's precisely why I don't want to do it from this perspective, because every, every, every everyone wants to do it. Yeah. So sometimes a good bit of UI can do that. And maybe the the problems you'll discover are adjacent and you'll just understand them Mm -hmm. because you understand the space well. You understand what it is to be a solopreneur. You understand what it is to run an agency. You understand something about bookkeeping. And once you talk to enough bookkeeper, you understand more about their pains with working these pesky clients. And then there might be some kind of a bridge that connects these things, something. And it's also possible that this research will result in you realizing that this niche is not the right one. Now, It doesn't mean that the ideas in Zvit have no room in the world. It only means you've invalidated one niche. And maybe you run out of ideas and maybe you don't. But in general, if there are a dozen kind of interesting features in what you've built, there should be at least a dozen niches you can try to tackle with it. Yes. I honestly thought, sorry, I know we're a bit at time probably. It's the thing that stuck with me. I I got this uh, comment on Indie Hackers today about the landing page. And there was this comment about changing the hero title to just be something like expense manager for freelancers or something. But that's the thing. I don't want to be that. I don't want this to be another expense manager. The point here is about specifically like helping bookkeepers essentially mm-hmm. by, by in, in freelancers or self-employed people's hands, helping bookkeepers clean up that mess, first of all. And second of all, to start claiming deductions because not a lot of people who start businesses realize that by expensing all this How much, how much stuff, deduction, yeah. Yeah, how you can actually, you can pay less on your tax return. Yeah, on your taxes. Yeah, pay less tax is probably... Not a good title. <laughs> No, I think it's probably an excellent... So listen, there's like people buy things for for three primary reasons. You know this, everybody knows this. Make money, save money, save time. And make money is like the primary thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. But save money is a really close second. If you can show people that they will pay you 50 bucks and they will save $500 on Mm. on that thing, then that that makes it a very obvious buy. Now, if you say, you know what? you won't pay anything until you save money on your i'll take whatever a percentage of your savings or i'll take or i'll take you use it in april and pay in whatever june right yeah when, i think uh, TurboTax does happen. it too yeah like uh, you can, you like can pay for their services delay the payment right that mm-hmm. makes it obvious and if you have specific so this is like the original Zvit use case if you can show yeah. specific cases of things you didn't know you could deduct Mm-hmm. and things you would have missed if you didn't go through the manual process and here's the amount here are the amounts that you might be missing with like sample that might work but again the solopreneurs you're talking about in their initial stages they don't make enough to, to pay taxes right and 
when someone is making enough to pay taxes, um, then they probably use a bookkeeper and now it's the bookkeeper's problem. So the, this, is, this is where you're looking for, a niche is not a niche of people. It's a particular use case for a particular person. And I really like the fact that you don't want to go after the generic expense manager kind of thing, because that's generic. It's like a very yes. specific thing for a very specific yeah. type of person and a very specific problem. You just haven't found it yet. That's what I fear the most, to think of a solution in search of a problem. It's, again, such a common phrase. So here's, here's a reframe. A solution looking for a problem is, is a derogatory term. It basically means a solution that does not have a problem that it solves. Precisely. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. It can also be a process. I have a solution, and now I'm actively engaged in finding the right problem for it with you caveat that yes i may need to adapt my solution a little bit to fit the problem that i find but instead of a solution looking for a problem as a generic kind of description of a failed reality it's an actual active process one of the results is i did not find a problem that fits any version of the solution another option is i actually did find a problem and it requires a two and a half degree shift in the solution and it's magical like that's no pivoting right option. is that it's a tiny Micro pivot. Uh -huh, so sure. you pivot the messaging and the positioning a lot more than you pivot the code. That's basically what I'm uh, going for. See. Yeah. Very interesting. Lots of thoughts, lots of questions, Ellie, but uh, I hate to keep you any longer. <laughs> well, but I, I love the conversation, though. It's, man, there's so much in this. I loved it too. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you want to be a guest on the show and talk through the problems you're facing with your business, you can send me a message on Twitter at FinerElly. My DMs are always open. And if you're ready for some deeper work, I can actually help you find product market fit for whatever it is you're building. You can find details about how this works, how much it costs, and what I can promise you on my website at growthlab.so. See you next time.